Perfect. Okay, well, hi everybody. So, uh, we are uh, the second weekend to just a little mini-series we're doing, uh, which we've just called What Kind of People? And it's, it's basically a series of teaching. We're going to do four weeks. We can take a little pause next Sunday. Vahe's preaching out something completely different. And then we'll kind of jump back in for a couple more weeks. And it's really a series that is meant to be all about what kind of church do we feel called to plant together? What kind of church do we feel God is calling us to be in this city? And really trying to paint a picture of that. And we're looking at Acts 2. We're jumping out of the same passage every week, that passage in Acts 2. We'll read again in a moment. And really thinking about you know, who is God calling us to be? Because clarity is really important. And I just want to say, this is not a series really about, you know, we're not these things and we need to become these things. It's really actually that I think these things are already in the fabric of who we are. But it's more as we step into new seasons going forward, what things are, what are these, what are the most important things to us? What sense of vision, what sense of values, what culture, what are the things that we really value that we want to retain through every season going forward. So that's really what it's about. It's important for those of us who have been in the church for a long time to be able to kind of go, this is who we are. And it's really important for people who may join us going forward to know, oh, this is who they are. This is who I'm getting involved with. This is the church I'm attending. And um, one of the reasons why, uh, well, I think we've been thinking about teaching this for quite a while, but I had a conversation with someone a little while ago, uh, someone who was just visiting us, um, they're not in the room. Uh, really nice person, but we had one of those conversations about church, which just kind of stuck with me a little bit. And if I'm honest, jarred a little bit with me, and I'll explain why. And uh, they basically said, look, um, you know, we go to another church, but can we sign up and get some information about your church? Because, you know, we might want to come along to one or two things. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, because I'm pretty relaxed about that. That's fine. You can sign up. But there's another part of me kind of went, I feel a little bit funny about that. And I think realized as I thought about it afterwards and as I reflected on it, it was because basically it just doesn't quite fit with, if you like, my view of what church is. Church, you know, there, there is a view out there that church is a, is, a, is a thing I go to where I basically, I get a bit of input, a bit of a lift, a bit of a spiritual hit when I need it. Yeah, and I'm feeling a bit low, so I need a bit of a lift, so I'll go to church and hopefully that will help me. Now, I hope coming to church does help us, yeah? I hope there is a sense of, like, impartation and a sense of, if you like, a spiritual hit. I wouldn't describe it like that, but you know what I mean? I felt better having... I mean, I hope you don't feel worse having come to church. I hope, I've, you know, I hope there is a lift, and I hope people do feel support, and I hope people can turn up for one-off and walk away feeling like, that did me good. But if that is what we boil down church to... Effectively, it doesn't really matter where we go at any particular time. We can go to this meeting, I can go to that event, I can watch that online, I can just feed wherever I want because basically it's about me getting what I need when I feel like I need it. And obviously that isn't really what church, what we're called to be. So in one sense, I'm, I'm glad that person felt they could ask, but I was like, ah, oh, I think what you're touching in me is fundamentally we just see church differently. And as we saw last week, church is a people we are called to be part of together to connect to grow together to be part of a community to be known and to know a place where we receive help where we're like we find healing and restoration but also a place where we give help where we create space for others where we give financially where we give our time where we serve that's one of the reasons why we say to everybody if you're part of the church if you're not in a serving team i mean serving is much more than being in a serving team by the way it's really a value of helping and being part of something 
But also one of the ways you embody that is by being part of a team. So if you're not in a team, I'd encourage you, get in a team. Because actually it's just a way of saying, I'm part of the fabric of this community. So, uh, so we're going to look again about uh, Acts 2. I'm going to read it in a moment. Last week we talked about actually church is a place where people are built together. We're fundamentally people, people. It's not about a platform. It's not about profile. Those things sometimes come to churches, but fundamentally that's not what we're going after. We go after a place where people feel that they belong. We need to be part of something that we belong to. And so we're going to read again from Acts 2, verse 42. It's going to come up on the screen, and it says this. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I guess what I want to speak about this week is, is the issue of faith. If you were to cut this community open and go, what's right at the very heart of them? What makes them tick? What makes them so vibrant and attractive? I think one of the things you'd say about them as a church is they really believed God. They believed him. You know, sometimes you can be around certain people and it's like you walk away going, they just believe. They believe. There's a confidence and a resilience about them where you just go, they, they really believe this. And I think when you cut this passage open and you were trying to look in the heart of who they are, you go, do you know what? Well, they really believed it. Now, that sounds so simple because you go, well, they're a church. I mean, they're supposed to be believers, right? I mean, of course they believed. But I think we all know it's possible to believe, like to assent intellectually to something. But in our hearts, we don't really believe about something. We might believe, you know, we believe in Jesus and we kind of like, we have been in seasons but those but in our hearts there's lots of areas where we don't really believe him tim keller used to say it's possible to believe in god but but not believe him and it's like oh gosh that is a huge disconnect but you but you resonates with us because we all recognize it in ourselves you can believe in him but not actually believe him not believe the things he says about you and about me about the future, about things that are unknown to us, about storms and challenges. We, we believe in him, but we don't necessarily believe what he says. And yet you cut this bunch of people open, it's going, oh, they believed. I'm sure they had their doubts. And as we said last, last week in Acts 5, you see Ananias and Sapphira, some people who clearly had their own questions and doubts. So it wasn't utopia, but you just get this sense of faith and i think when that first phrase it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching i don't think what you're getting there is a sense of they just wanted to know more stuff i think what it's they just wanted to feed their soul because faith is so important faith is such an important ingredient for a christian and for a believer and i believe one of the things that god is calling us to be is a people of faith a people who believe God, in any ways, we make decisions based on, well, what do we think God's saying to us? And you see it here. You see it all over the place. You see it in the way they treated their stuff. There's a, there's a contentedness about them so they can give their stuff away. You can't be generous with your stuff if you don't actually really believe that God will look after you. 
If you don't believe he's going to look after you, you're going to hoard everything you can. Because how are you going to survive? Well, I'm only going to survive if I can just, if I can provide for myself. So my lack of generosity often is a symptom of, I don't actually really believe that he's going to provide for me. So I have to provide for myself. I have to safeguard everything because I don't really believe. But they are happy to give away. Why? Well, because they believe. He said he's going to provide. It's going to be okay. I can trust him. So you see it in the way they treat their stuff. There's a boldness about them, about sharing their faith, about praying for people. Well, we'll pray and see if God heals them. There's a confidence. There's this kind of gentle confidence in the midst of challenges. You know, I'm around, sometimes I'm around people like that. I'm provoked by that. Mm-hmm. Where they go through incredibly challenging scenarios and you get this sense of confidence. And it's not a grit my teeth, I must be more, I must believe more. It's a sense of something has grown within them. Which goes, you know what, even in this challenge, I think God is going to, in the end, I'm going to be okay. Somehow, in some way, I'll get through. Like we just sang, I'll get through. I don't know what it looks like on the other side. I wouldn't choose to walk through this, but somehow I don't think he's going to let me go. He is utterly committed to me. He says he's going to finish what he begins. Okay? He said, he's, he's, you know, I'll complete the good work. You know, all those things. If God is for me, who can be against me? All the. Pr- okay, I'm going to get through. Somehow I don't know what it looks like. I don't like the path, but he'll, I'm going to get through. And there's a confidence, and you see it in them as well. And you see it in them together. By then, what happens and how the church explodes through opposition and suffering and persecution. And there's a, there's a call on them. And I mean, there's, a call on, there's a call on all churches. There's definitely, I believe, a call on us to go, okay, God, we're going to believe you. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that does and what that doesn't mean. So, now, in one sense, you kind of go, well, how do we, how do we become people like that? How do we retain that? How do we... How do we help grow and nurture that in our own lives and in the life of a community? How do we do that? And in one sense, Acts 2, 42 to 47 gives you a whole bunch of things. Be together, pray together, break bread together, read the word. There's all those things. That's all part of how do you stir and cultivate faith in my own life and in the life of a community. But I want us to take us actually to a different passage, which is Numbers 13. It's going to come up. And this is a story, if you know this story, of Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies. The people of Israel have been brought out of Egypt. They come out of slavery. So it's a story of a whole people coming out of slavery, but it's a picture, obviously, of salvation being pulled out of, out of slavery, sin, into a new land. The promise is, I'm going to give you a land. The promise is, year, I mean, decades, centuries old. Abraham had the promise initially. So God has promised to get them out and get them in. Okay? Under Moses' leadership, and they go, right, we're on the edge of the land. They've seen incredible, miraculous stuff happen. And now they're on the edge of the land. And they said, let's send, send 12 spies in for 40 days. Go and check out the land. Bring a report back. And 12 of them bring a report back. These are like 12. One from each tribe. So they're the heroes of the tribes, basically. Okay? So they're all pretty, like, famous people from within their tribes. And they send them in. And this is what happens. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israel community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which he sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But 
The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites leading the Nevev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gigabites, the Megabites in the hill country, and the Canaanites lived near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored, which is interesting. I mean, they've just shown them the fruit, and now they give a bad report. They say the land we explored devours those living in it, which clearly isn't true because there are people living there. But it's amazing how the thing just gets amped up. They de- devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. It's like living in the Netherlands, isn't it? They're all huge people. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And then I'm going to jump down a few verses. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. This is like a great fun people to lead, right? Or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthah, who were there amongst them, who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now, I want you to notice, 12 spies go into the land. They all have the same instructions. They all see the same things. They experience exactly the same stuff. They all know the story from their history. They've all heard the prophetic promise that God's going to give them a land. They've all experienced incredible miracles. But 10 come back with a radically different report to another two. 10 come back saying, there's just no way. It's impossible. We've come all this way. We've waited these years to get free, but it's impossible. It's just we cannot do it. Joshua and Caleb come back, though, and says, we can take it. It's ours. We need to take it. And there's an interesting thing in there about, about partnering. I'm not going to get into that today. But actually, faith in action is often not, God, can you just sort it out? It's often us cooperating with what he's doing. Right? So often in our own lives, if we get a, have to overcome certain things, it's not often that God just beams down and sorts it all out for us. Occasionally, God miraculously just sorts something. But often, we cooperate with him. We are co-laborers with him. We work out our salvation so God does it, but we do it with him. And you see that often in the Old Testament. They fight a battle, but God gives them the victory. So we can take it. It's ours. But the ten win the day. And it's often easier to spread cynicism than it is to spread faith. And they spread cynicism amongst the people. 
And the consequences are huge. 40 years, they, they, they lose 40 years now. <laughs> like a, basically a lifetime. And it's possible, isn't it, to effectively use, lose years of our lives as Christians, decades sometimes, because we don't really believe him. We don't really, we never, we never take steps into that thing that God called us to do or to be, or we never got out of that stuff that was holding us back, whatever that was, because we didn't really step into what God had for us. We didn't go through the process of getting healing or whatever it was, and we lose decades. 40 years they lose and wander around the desert. And it says only Joshua and Caleb are going to go into the land. The rest of you are going to die here. So, what can we learn? We're in this season as a church. When it comes to faith and being a people who go, do you know what? Bottom line is, we're going to believe him. What can we learn from this story? Okay, here's, here's, and there's so much on this subject. I mean, you could do it again. You could do a whole series. So I guess these are some things which jump out for me. The first one is this. When it comes to faith, identity is critical, is key. It's interesting what they say, isn't it? The 10 spies who come back who bring a negative report. There's one particular phrase that always stands out. I suspect you caught it as well. They go, look, yeah, we can't attack them. They're too strong. And they spread this kind of like this bad report. And it says this, the land we explored devours those living in it. The people are all giants. There's the Nephilim are there. Okay. We seem like, and then he says, and then we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So it's not just simply that the people are huge. It's not even that there are fortified cities. In other words, it's not only that there's a challenge coming. It's that the real killer in terms of faith is in our own eyes, we seemed absolutely like, like ridiculous. We are, we've got nothing. There's no way. Look at us. And it is very difficult for faith to grow in our hearts when we don't understand who we are. So yes, faith is partly understanding who he is. That's true as well. But what you see here is faith, actually, in terms of taking steps forward, individually and as a people, partly is dependent on understanding who we are. How God views us, how he feels towards us. It's interesting to me that when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, they go, we just don't know how to pray. You clearly know how to pray. Teach us how to pray. The first thing he says is pray, Father. That's the first thing. In other words, come as a son. Or a daughter. But obviously in that culture, the, the son is the one who has all the inheritance. So that's why he talks about, often talks about being sons. Really, well, it's not about men. It's about understanding as a man or woman, you come with an inheritance. You're allowed in. You pray, Father. Matthew 7, when he talks about asking and seeking and knocking, he says, those of you who are fathers who are not great fathers, you're evil, you know how to get good gifts. How much more will your father in heaven give you good gifts to those who, who ask him? In a sense, you come, you understand who you're coming to and who, how he views you. Matthew 6, Jesus is urging his disciples not to be anxious about tomorrow. I think I've said here before, that's one of my spiritual gifts. I'm very good at that one. Okay. But he's going, I don't want you to be kind of bound by fear about tomorrow, about the things that you don't know or the things that you're worried about. I don't want you to be held captive by that. How, and what, is, what, is, what does he say? What he says, look, look at the birds. 
Look at the land. Look at the flowers. Look how God provides. Look how he kind of clothes. Now look, how much more valuable are you? That's what he says. In other words, understand how your father views you. How much? And then he goes, oh, you of little faith. Well, the faith bit is connected to not understanding who we are. It's connected to understanding how loved you are. You know, if you were driving somewhere or cycling somewhere or you just got stuck somewhere and you are stranded and it's dark and you can't get out and you you ring your best friend, okay, and they say, I'm going to come and get you. I'm coming to get you. Don't worry, I'm coming to get you. I imagine you'd be very confident. Why would you be confident he's going to deliver you or she's going to deliver you? Because you know that they care for you. Right? They, you know that they're going to be treated. They know that they are, they, they're your friends. So your confidence is entirely based on your relationship and understanding how they view you. They're coming going to come and get you. It's interesting, the passage that Sarah quoted about Jesus, you know, in the, they're in the storm and they're all asleep. And, and the disciples actually, you know, they, they wake Jesus up and they go, don't you care? We're all going to drown. So why are they so scared? Well, one of the reasons they're so scared is because they don't realise how much he cares. But when you realise how much he cares, it is an entirely different experience. Faith is birthed and cultivated in a heart that understands how much he cares. If you think God is angry with you most of the time, and he is hard to please, faith faith gets suffocated in that kind of heart. You think about Jesus talks about the talents. Well, what does the one talent guy go? He gets one talent and he buries it, hides it. Why? Because he says, I know you're a hard man. So what does he do with his life and his talent? He buries it. Why? Because he thinks this guy's so hard. Like, I'm hard to please. If we think God is hard to please, we're going to bury everything and play safe about everything. I'll never take a step out because, because I'm scared of him. Whereas if we think he's good and he's for us and we're already in and we're accepted and I'm a son... And a daughter. That's a totally different experience. He's my father. I'm totally accepted. I'm, I'm not simply forgiven. I'm, ex- I'm adopted. It's interesting when David shows up with Goliath. You know, and you know, I'm sure you know that story. And the whole Israel army are standing there. And they've been there for 40 days. That's a kind of pretty key number again. Well, the first thing Jesus says, uh, David says is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, he's not just being rude about his body parts. He's not, going, he's not just picking out strange things about him physically. It's a bit of a weird comment, isn't it? What he's saying is circumcision was the sign of being in the people. So he's saying this guy is not part of the people of God. So he doesn't come under the protection. So when he says, who's this uncircumcised? He's going, this guy is on his own. <laughs> We're not on our own. That's what David's saying. This guy's completely unprotected. He's just out there on his own. But, but we are not. The Israelites have all forgotten this. And David turns up going, no, no, no. I know. I know who my father is. So he goes, okay, well, I'm, okay, I'll go then. So faith grows in a heart which is clear I'm loved. He's for me. He's not against me. That means, and I have studied theology He's not against me. (laughs) It means he's very keen on me and you. 
He's very, very fond of me and of you. And when you understand that, and you walk through hard things, or you see challenges or giants or land, you think, oh, gosh, Lord, how are we going to... Then you go, he's, he's absolutely for me. Yeah. That changes everything when it comes to faith. That's the first thing. We've got five things. The next ones are going to be much quicker. Second one. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you got the afternoon, haven't we? Okay. Faith grows when you taste truth, not simply know it. There is a difference between knowing truth and knowing truth. Right? The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, there's an experiencing of God's goodness, which is different from just an intellectual assent. Right? So one of the things as a community, we are, yeah, we want to teach, and, but I don't, I don't want to just fill people's brains with, I mean, I'm probably not a good enough teacher to fill people's brains with knowledge, but I, we want people to not just know it, but to know it. You've got to know this stuff, not just know it. Last weekend, Sarah was away, came back Sunday morning. Saturday night, and so we got our, two of our boys at home with us in Rotterdam. So it was like, it was, it was kebab night, so... We got a capsule on. We live in Rotterdam. So I got a capsule in. Much to Helen's. Helen was like, I can't believe you're getting a capsule on. But we got a capsule in. Okay. In fact, three. And I said, right, we're going to watch one of my favorite films. We're going to watch Shawshank Redemption. Now, like, okay. I've inflicted it on Joel before. But we watched it. Ben's never seen it before. I won't go into the whole story. But there, it's basically about a, these guys who are in prison. And yeah, I won't tell you anymore. But there's a character in there called Brooks. He's an older guy. And Brooks eventually serves all his prison sentence and is released. But he's been in prison for so long that when he gets out, he just doesn't know how to be a free man. It's this very sad story. He's, he is a free man, but he cannot live it because he's so institutionalized to slavery and being a prisoner. And he's desperate to go back. He's trying to find ways to get back in prison because he feels so unsafe as a free man. And it's possible, I think, to become a Christian and to know you're free, but not to live out your freedom. To not to appropriate actually what's really happened and to live in the good of it. You have to appropriate the truth of what has already happened. Faith needs to go from here to here. Got to know something. Number three, faith grows where grace lives. You read Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of the heroes of faith. Okay, you know, it's all the people who seem to have pleased God in terms of their faith. And we kind of have a sense of like, wow, wow, wow. You know, that's all like the most crazy, obedient people. Actually, you read that chapter, what you'll find in that chapter are murderers, prostitutes, cynics, adulterers. Even Samson is in the list. Okay, you read the story of Samson, he's nuts, that guy. Like, he's a crazy guy. His life is all up and down. He's not... And we kind of have this view that faith sometimes, somehow is being, getting everything right. And if I get everything right, then I will believe God and he will bless me. But this list is full of people who did not get everything right. But somehow they had got to the point of going, but I think I do believe God. So they, conf- they are not all sorted out by any means. Faith is not the same as perfection. Now, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not condoning living an unrighteous life. Okay, I'm just saying that understanding <coughs> that you are qualified as a believer, that you are allowed in, you're accepted, 
is all on the performance of Jesus and not on yours. So we talk in workplaces, don't we, about performance-related stuff. Performance-related reviews, performance-related pay, all that. And, you know, depending on how well you've done depends on what they give you, right? And that happens, that's un- I understand that. But we often bring that into our kind of Christian walk. We think, well, it's performance-related. If I perform well, if, I'm, if I read my Bible, then God will bless me, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. But your, what God does in our lives, I would suggest, is very hardly at all connected to your performance. It is performance-related, but just not yours, Right? So if you are a Christian, you're in Christ. In other words, it's all dependent on his performance. And because of his performance, I'm allowed in. And now the Father sees me clothed in Jesus' righteousness. His righteousness, the theologians say, is imputed to me, treated as if it's mine. And my sin has been treated as if it's his. And now when he sees me, he sees me in Jesus. So, yeah, it's performance related, but not mine. I'm in. Which means that God can use imperfect people who are working out their salvation and being sanctified on the journey. So faith is not the same as perfection. You have to understand grace to know I'm in because of the grace of God. So God can do things in my life and I can pray and I can come to him even when my track record is pretty questionable. Here's the fourth thing. Faith is allowing the promises to speak louder than the challenges. Now, this is how I feel, anyway. Faith is not about being unreal. So I'm not talking about spiritual unreality. You know, occasionally, I think in Christian circles, and I'm sure I get some stuff wrong, but occasionally in Christian circles, people get into pretending that stuff isn't rubbish. But the Bible is like we all walk through very challenging scenarios at times. Storms, <coughs> difficulties. The Bible's full of it. <coughs> Persecution, opposition, suffering, illness. We know that it's there. You know, Paul goes, I've been shipwrecked this many times. It's not like, hey, great job. So we walk through hard stuff. And occasionally in Christian circles, it's like, well, if you just believe more, those things will all go away. I mean, occasionally you meet people who haven't been healed and someone's told them you haven't been healed because you haven't had enough faith. I just have a real problem with that. Because if you ask for someone to heal you or pray for you, you probably had mustard seed faith. And Jesus said just mustard seed faith is enough to move a mountain. So I think we have to be very cautious around those things. And it can slip into a kind of super spiritual unreality about the challenges of life. So life can be very difficult. And actually, in many ways, as a Christian, sometimes you're going to face more challenges than if you weren't one. What a great advert for following Jesus. So it's not mind over matter stuff. I had in my family uh, Christian scientists somewhere in my family. Christian scientists don't believe in going to the doctor. They don't believe in medicine. They don't believe in common grace. Okay? It's just like, I'm very happy to go to the doctor because I think God's given grace to doctors and medicine. I'm grateful for it. I'm particularly grateful for anesthetic. (laughs) Praise the Lord for anesthetic. So we're not into spiritual pretending. Okay? They come back and there is a report. Yeah, there are fortified cities. Yes, there are giants. Yes, there are challenges. It's going to be, there are some very big people in the land. So it's not about spiritual pretending that there isn't challenges or we aren't going through hard times. The Psalms are full of hard times. But faith is allowing the promises to speak louder than the circumstances. So Abraham, 
who has the promise to him and Sarah that they're going to have a son and he's too old and she's too old and she's barren. Yeah, well, Romans 4, this is what it says about Abraham. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I don't know how they'd feel about having a child at 100. That must be pretty challenging. But anyway, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. In other words, the process by which Abraham comes to a place of confidence is he faces the fact that physically, humanly, this is impossible. He doesn't pretend that it's not. He knows, I'm way too old, she's way too old, there's no chance. And yet, so we've got to allow the promises to speak loudly in our hearts. I had recently someone talking about Ephesians 6, which is the whole passage about the armor of God. And uh, I was listening to a preach where someone spoke about it. And they said, it talks, put on the full armor of God so that in the day of evil you can take your stand. In other words, you put it on before that day comes. It's very difficult in the, in the moment. If you imagine if you were going into battle, hold on, sorry, don't fire just yet. Do you mind? I mean, you'd just be like, you're, you're done, aren't you? You've got to go in ready. So one of the reasons why they're Acts 2, they're just devoting themselves to the apostles while they're reading and going, God, help me understand. I want, I want your word in my life. One of the reasons why we take the Bible seriously is like, God, I need, I need you to strengthen. Tell me what, the tr- what real reality is, your reality, and get it in us now so when those days come, we are not overwhelmed. Just like Jesus says in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that the house still stands. Where even when storms come, it stands. Because it's been built on truth. Our lives have been built on truth. So we need to know, I'm loved, he's for me, he's promised he's going to look after me or provide for me. I don't know what it's going to look like the other side of this storm. But I know somehow I'm still going to be in his hand. We've got to know those things and we've got to get them in us. That's why the Bible, one of the reasons why the Bible is so important, that's how he speaks to us so much. Here's the last one. Faith grows in the midst of a community. Obviously, we touched on this last week. But I'm often reminded of the story. You know the story where there's a guy who's paralyzed and his friends think, I've just got to get him to Jesus. And they turn up and everybody else has had the same idea. <laughs> so they're like, we can't get in the house. So they think, oh, no, let's take him up on the roof and we're going to smash a hole. I often wonder, what was it like for the guy or the woman who owned the house? It's like... I wish, oh, I wish I'd never said yes to having this meeting. I should never have had this small group in my house. It's smashed. It's taken months to get my house quite right. I've been plastering and now someone smashed a hole. Okay, but they smash a hole. They lower this guy down and it says Jesus saw their faith. It's interesting. It doesn't, it doesn't say he saw his faith. It says Jesus saw their faith. And faith grows in the midst of a community. We need, I need people to carry me sometimes. And I would suggest so do you. I am enlarged and strengthened by being in the midst of a people of faith. And it's a bit like we talked about last week, okay? The more in you are, the more likely that is to happen. It's very simple. We need to carry each other sometimes. So I'm going to finish here. I often think this. We've, 
Most of us, not all of us, but most of us have travelled from other countries, haven't we? Some of us have come a long way. And we've moved on to this city and we're here. Most of us maybe come for jobs or maybe for relationships or training or studying, whatever it is. There's all these different human reasons. But actually, I think behind it all, God's hand is on our lives, bringing us together. And I sometimes think, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? God is bringing us together. What is he going to do? And sometimes I think, wouldn't it be fun in 25 years' time if we're all still alive? Uh, I'm sure we will be. Okay. (laughs) You know, if you could, you know, get everyone together, because people might be all over the world at that point. Wouldn't it be great in 25 years' time to go, do you remember when? Think of the stories that might come out of this over the next 25 years, right? Think of what God might do. Some of the things we feel, what do you see him do? Think of what might come in the next 25, and we'd get together and we'd reminisce and we'd talk about the the land that was always Christmas (laughs) and all those things. But think, I think, gosh, wouldn't it be interesting to do that and look back one day? Well, how do you have those stories? You have those stories because you cut the community right down the middle, you go, they believed. They really did. It was about relationships and community, but it was about stuff soaked in faith. That went, in the end, okay, we're going to believe. He's got stuff for us. Okay, do you want to come in? Why don't we just stand, Stop's going to lead us in just prayer at the end, but why don't we stand together?